Take your Bible, and we're going to jump into the next uh, sermon in our series in the book of Colossians. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, toward the end of chapter 2, and we'll jump in just a second. Uh, I don't know if you, how many saw this week that Punxsutawney Phil made another appearance? Did you see that? Did you uh, hear the outcome of that? Punxsutawney Phil saw his shadow, which means there's six more weeks of winter. Anybody excited about that? Okay, in related news, I saw my shadow this week, which means we have six more weeks in this series, okay? So, uh, just kidding. Uh, but it has been great, hasn't it? This series and what God's been doing uh, through, through it uh, in lives and transforming lives, and it's been a lot of fun. Last weekend, if you were here, uh, we, at the end of the service, we put into practice, literally, at the end, this wonderful passage. Let me re- remind us of it. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. And so at the end of uh, last week's service, we nailed things to, the, to a, literally to a cross. It was right here where I'm standing. We nailed our sins to the cross. We nailed the things that we need to confess to him. We nailed our hopes and dreams about our futures. We, we nailed our marriages and things that we're praying for in people's lives. We, we nailed uh, struggles, uh, 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 and health, health-wise struggles that we might have in our lives or in people's lives that are close to us. We nailed all those things to the Lord, claiming in that way the victory that Christ won for us on the cross or at the cross. This week, just to give you a little update, a little report, we took all of those, uh, because we did that at every campus, we took all of those cards from all three campuses, we brought them together, and we took them in the sanctuary and we prayed over them. We took them then into a ministry staff meeting that we had, and we prayed over them again. Then the campus pastors, there's a cornerstone here at this campus when the church was built here back in the 50s at this location. And we took them to the cornerstone of this church. It's that representative that Christ is our cornerstone, and we laid them at that cornerstone. And there's a passage of Scripture in, uh, in Revelation that talks about the prayers of God's people. The things that they're concerned about are like, a, like an aroma, like smoke uh, going up into heaven. And so in that vein, in that spirit, we lit those cards on fire. And the wind was blowing and howling, and it was really cool to see literally those, the ashes from those cards that you uh, nailed to that cross to see them ascending up into heaven. Just a beautiful picture representing what Christ is up to at First Church, that God is moving, that God is transforming lives, that God is, is, is doing new and exciting things, restoring his ideal in lives. God's on the move. Take your Bible again and turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. And Father, as we look at this passage, we pray, Father, that you'd be with us, that you would speak to us, reveal new things, challenge us in ways that you want, and may your word speak to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I came to First Church, I pastored, Crystal and I did, in southwest Ohio, in Middletown, Ohio, for about 12 years. And as a part of that ministry, there was a season when I was on what was called the executive committee of that district of churches, there were about 50 churches, and one of the things that we did as a district together, there was a, a camp that we had together, and it was 
a bit of a rustic camp. Do you know what I mean when I say it was rustic? <laughs> Could use a little work. And so, uh, so we had gotten word that someone, a, a wealthy family in that uh, southwest district of churches, a wealthy family wanted to donate enough money to build an Olympic-sized pool at this camp that was for kids and teens and whatever, and, and, and they were going to build the pool house and fence and all the things. Whatever we wanted, they were going to write the check for that. Well, there's a pastor of will be small church in that district, and he got wind that that family was going to donate so the pool could be built at that camp. And he began to just grouse around about that, began to talk to other pastors, and, and just, just was, he was upset that we would build a, a swimming pool where, where kids and teens could, could um, have what was called mixed bathing. Does anybody know what mixed bathing is? <laughs> anybody, you're old enough to remember that term back when, when churches struggled with mixed bathing? I mean, can, can guys and girls go to a swimming pool to get that, that kind of thing? And so he was uh, going around the district talking to these other pastors. You know, the highway to hell is paved by swimming pool, you know, with swimming pools, you know, that kind of, that kind of vibe. And so that family got word, you know, even before we could talk about it as this executive committee and kind of figure out a plan, even before that, that family got wind of the way he was just out causing dissension and whatever. And so they decided, well, we don't want to, we don't want to cause a problem. And so we're going to, they ended up giving that whole big chunk of money to a college. When I was, uh, I grew up in Southern Illinois, you know, served in Southwest Ohio as well. And one of the interesting things in, in both of those places is that there were churches that, that had this belief that unless you use the King James Version when you preach, that you're, you're compromising your faith. You're compromising as a pastor to use any other translation of Scripture except the King James Bible. So whether it's, whether it's a pastor that has this belief that it's Jesus plus abstaining from mixed bathing, or someone else over here that believes it's Jesus plus, you can only read out of the King James, Jesus plus King James Version. Or I was thinking back several years ago, there was a family and God had just done some amazing things in their lives. It really brought this family back to Christ. They had been away from the Lord for some years and God had done a radical transformation in their life and we were so excited about what God was doing. And so uh, the wife uh, just let her brother, who's a pastor in another state, another denomination, know what God was up to in her life. And she got uh, a letter, an email back from her pastor brother. And he said to her, I'm so brokenhearted. He said, I'm really glad that our parents are no longer living because this would kill them to see you having abandoned your faith. And what, what he was saying was, because you no longer, because you're attending our church, this church, and not attending the church where, uh, of the denominational stripe that, that he was a part of, that, that it's a good thing our parents aren't living because that would kill them, that you have abandoned your faith. So it's Jesus plus a particular denominational affiliation. Comes in many forms. A word to describe all of that and more would be legalism. Legalism is the idea that it's Jesus plus something else. 
And it's the tension of trying to live holy, live right, and live for Christ, being a follower of Christ, but yet not succumbing to the, to the burden, to the shackles of legalism. Not, not succumbing to the man-made set of rules of mixing law and grace, whereas Jesus plus other things that people would put on us. And here in the book of Colossians, this letter that Paul writes to Colossae, that was what was, again, infiltrating the church, one of the issues. And that's what Paul has to say to us today. Listen to his words in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Don't let anyone condemn you for what, so don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for, for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbath. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. That word so is un in the Greek. And it's, we see it connecting, uh, there, the first word so, in, in, in what starts verse 16. But it's connecting two big sections of Scripture where Christ, uh, Paul's been talking about Christ on the cross is victorious and he the finished work of Jesus sets us free from our sin and our junk and as he says that and he's just talked about Christ and all the Christ has done he says so or another way you could say it is therefore or so then so he's connecting these two things so I've just told you about Christ I've just told you about the freedom you have in Christ so he says don't let anyone condemn you you stand forgiven don't let some person tell you just because you don't eat something or drink something don't let them condemn you for that don't let them because of the the Jewish people and there were believers that that had that Jewish background and and there were a lot of ceremonial laws that they had kept but now they're free from the the that burden of the law those ceremonial laws so they don't have to it's not Jesus plus don't eat shellfish or Jesus plus don't eat pork and there are other Religious practices that must have been from other groups that were infiltrating the church. So it's Jesus plus these other things. Jesus plus this, keeping this calendar of holy days. Jesus plus these new moon ceremonies, whatever that was. Jesus plus Sabbath keeping. And there's nothing wrong with eating certain things or not eating certain things, abstaining from this or abstaining from that. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just not something that saves us. It's not Jesus plus legalism. Verse 17, he says, the law is just a shadow. That rule keeping is just a shadow. In Christ, we have the substance. We have the reality, he says. Jesus himself is the reality. So you can observe a religious diet. You can eat that or not eat that. It's all good. You can keep those holy days. You can have some outward semblance of spirituality. But none of those things can transform the human heart. It was September 8th, 1974, when Evil Knievel, some of you recognize that name, remember Evil Knievel? If you don't know who Evil Knievel is or too young to know who he is, it would be worth a, a Google search to, to uh, just learn a little about Evil Knievel. Fun guy. Uh, he did these motorcycle, uh, he was a, a stunt guy, and he would jump over stuff. So whether it was jump, jumping parked cars or buses, snarls of live rattlesnakes. One time he jumped over the fountain at, at, at Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas. Uh, he jumped over uh, buses in Wembley Stadium in London. And so on this particular day, September 8th, 1974, he was going to do his greatest stunt, his greatest attempt jump ever. He was going to jump Snake River Canyon 
in Idaho. And so, uh, can Evil had boasted that he had broken every bone in his body except his neck. That was his claim to fame. And so he was going to, to be propelled on this, what he called the Sky Cycle X1, across this canyon from one side uh, to the other. And he'd fixed it up. There were thousands of people that were gathered there. He'd worked it out where there was closed circuit TV. And so there were movie theaters that were going to carry this live that you could go watch it live. And when that rocket took off, that sky cycle X1 took off, the, the chute opens prematurely as it's jetting across that canyon. And uh, it, the wind takes it, and, and he doesn't make it to the other side, blows down into that canyon. He, he, he ends up on the bank of the river at the bottom of that canyon. They go down in a helicopter, pick him up. He wasn't he survived. He was bruised. He was humiliated, but alive. The 1975 Encyclopedia Britannica yearbook aptly described that event as the year's most spectacular failure. It reminds me of our human efforts to be reconciled with God. Our human efforts to overcome the moral chasm that sin has has carved between us and God. The, our, our efforts to try to get across that chasm. Well, if I just do this, or if I just don't do that, if, I, if I'm just better than that person, if I just do enough good things, that in the end, as we try to do those things, the parachute deploys, and we find ourselves falling back, having not accomplished what we'd hoped. But thank God... Paul talks to, to us about a better way. That there is a gracious provision that Christ has brought that gets us across that chasm, that bridges that canyon. It is the way of grace, and it's the victory that, is, uh, that we have in the finished work of Jesus on the cross that we talked about last week. And what he says is, don't let anyone condemn you. And to try to make you think that it's Jesus plus other things. He goes on in verse 18. He says it again. In a similar way, don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying that they've had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they're not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. So, reading from the NLT, and the NLT translates that phrase, do not let anyone condemn, from the Greek, the same way that it translated that first verse in verse 16. But it's actually, the phrase is different in Greek. So what, what, what it's actually saying is, is more, don't let anyone disqualify you for winning the prize. That's the idea. That do not let anyone condemn is this idea that don't let anyone disqualify you from, from what Christ wants to do. Don't let anyone disqualify you. You think you can be disqualified in your salvation don't deny yourself of, of what Christ wants to do in you. It's not Jesus plus doing these things. It's not Jesus plus worshiping these angels. It's not Jesus plus anything. Friends, we are saved by God's grace. Not by rule keeping. Not by law keeping. Don't let anyone, Paul saying, tack extra things on to following Christ. Romans 8 Verse 1, so now there is no condemnation 
for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And here's what we need to remember. Here's the summary of what Paul is trying to get, uh, get at teaching them and teaching us. Resist the bondage of doing good for God. And you could add this little line, in order to earn his favor. We should absolutely live out our faith. We should absolutely, and the scripture talks about working out our salvation. But he doesn't tell us to work for our salvation. The world should be able to see that we're different. The world should be able to see that we're set apart. The world should be able to see us loving different and serving different and forgiving different. But we don't do it so that we can earn God's favor. We do it because we've been changed by Christ. And we want the world to to see the difference in us. We We want to honor God with our lives. And it's our pleasure to live different. I've shared with you the famous quote by Dallas Willard. It applies today. Let me remind you of it. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. So it doesn't mean that that you should just go eat donuts every day and not care about what you eat. You know, there's some good benefit in eating certain things and not eating certain things. It's all right. It, it, it's not saying that, that there's not value in keeping the Sabbath and, and having a day of rest and focusing on the Lord. That's some really good, wonderful things. And that we should put effort into following Christ. And we should do things that are good and not do things that are bad. Absolutely. But our faith does not rest on following rules. Our faith rests on following Jesus. When grace has flowed into us, then the natural thing that should happen is that, that grace flows out of us. As it flows into us, that it flows out of us. And not to let the lines blur and to falsely conclude that doing right things makes us right with God. We must resist the bondage of doing good for God with the thought that if I just do enough good things, that I'll earn God's favor. And then in typical Pauline fashion, what's he do? What's he been doing this whole time? Then he turns our attention back to Jesus. And what's he saying? Verse 20. You have died with Christ and he set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So when we put our faith in Christ, when we accept the sacrifice that he made on the cross, when we surrender our old life of sin to him and let him nail our sin to the cross, our sinful nature to the cross, we are made alive, Scripture says, in Christ. We talked last week, we gave us that, the scripture was talking about that picture of, of the old life when we go under the water. We've died to that old life. As we come out, as we're baptized, we come up, up out of the water, raised to new life in Christ. We're just this symbolic of the difference that Christ has made. And by the way, I mentioned we have a baptismal service coming up. We have set the date. It's March the 26th here at this campus. In March at each campus, it'll be a different day each week. Um, at the different campuses, but here will be the 26th. We'll have signups coming up at the website at the, and at the Info Hub. That'll be coming up. You can look for that. Encourage you, if you have followed Christ and made him your Savior, that you follow him in baptism as well. So this new life means that we have died to sin. It means that we can have the power to live a victorious life over sin, but that's not in our own strength and our own power. We need the power of the Holy Spirit helping us, working in us, that we can be free, as he says, from the spiritual powers of this world. And so if we've been set free, if we are alive in Christ, 
then we're free from these spiritual powers. We're free from the false religions as we have been made alive to Christ. We're free from rule keeping and trying to be good enough for God as we have been made alive to Christ. We're free from the habits and the broken philosophies of this world that would tell us that there is no God or that we don't need God. Free from the wisdom of this age that tells us that that humankind is on some path to a self-made utopia and that we don't need God. We can do it on our own. Again, what does Paul say to us? We are free in Christ. We're no longer in bondage. And so what I would say to us as we think about how do we apply this, we need to fully embrace our freedom in Christ. Paul says we're free in Christ. We're not in bondage to the law and and law keeping and do this and don't do that. Look at the second part of verse 20. He continues to reiterate this idea. So why do you keep on following the rules of this world? So if you're free... Why do you keep following the rules of the world, such as don't handle this, don't taste that, don't touch those things? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. So you've found Christ, you've, you've embraced Christ, you've found freedom and life in Christ, as Paul said, and he asked this important question, so why do you go back to, to, to thinking that you've got to keep not doing these things, doing or not doing things? Don't, don't, don't. And some of you, honestly, that's how you grew up. That's maybe the church you came from. Maybe this is the idea that you struggle with. Maybe you've got some family member that always wants to put on you Jesus plus these other things. Or the church that you grew up in, it was Jesus plus these other things. Jesus plus the King James. Or Jesus plus abstinence from this or that. Jesus plus. And what does Paul teach us? He teaches us that rule keeping is a dead end as we look at verse 22. That religion is all about do's and don'ts, but, but we have a loving, grace-dispensing, merc- merciful, forgiving God that has done everything that we need to fix this sin problem that we have, to get us over that moral chasm of our, of our stuff by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And so these rules may seem like, like, like wisdom in human teaching, he says, may seem wise, but they provide no help in conquering our evil, our, to conquering a person's evil desires. And so what's he telling us? Again, to remember to resist the bondage of doing good for God in order to earn our salvation. Doing this and not doing that by our own strength, that's, that's behavioral modification. That's pulling ourselves up by our moral bootstraps, by, by finding strength in it within our own human heart, and techniques, Paul says, yeah, it's a dead end. Gives no help in conquering someone's evil desires. What we need, what Paul is teaching, is instead the radical transformation that can happen from the inside out that Jesus brings, the power of the Holy Spirit alive in us. Speaking of some of that radical transformation, I love that that's happening across First Church. I love hearing some of the stories to, to give an example of that over at, at Benton Heights in Celebrate Recovery. 
So recovery, it's, it's the idea that, that we can bring the body of Christ, the, the people that love Jesus and the principles that we find in God's Word and in those relationships and the truth of God's Word and, and Christ alive in us and the power of the Holy Spirit, that people can be freed from their habits and their hang-ups and their hurts. They can find freedom. And we hear regular stories of that, by the way, Thursdays, 6.30, Benton Heights Campus, if you know someone or you are that someone that needs to find freedom. In March, we're going to start a step study of CR, Sober Recovery, here at this campus as well, here in St. Joe. So be looking for that if that's something that will be helpful to you. But friends, God is in the business of transforming lives from the inside out. That's what Paul's talking about. And so let's conclude by these last few verses here in chapter 3. Since you have been raised to new life in Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So Paul's been just helping us understand in this last chapter, chapter 2, in verse 13, that we were dead because of our sins. In verse 14, that we've been alive with Christ, that we've died with Christ. And here in chapter 3, that we are raised to new life in Christ. And so as we've been raised to new life, what should we do? We should set our, our minds. We should set our sights. We should look for, we should set our hearts on the reality of heaven. The new realities, not of this world, but the future home where we will be with Christ in eternity. What's the focus of your life? It's, it's good to occasionally think about that. So as you think about your life, what are you focused on? Because all of us are focused on something. Where, where do you, what do you focus on? Thomas Merton said this, People may spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of, of success only to find once they reach the top that the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. So our ladder that we're climbing, and all of us are climbing towards something, what are you climbing towards? What are you setting your sights on? Because you're setting your sights on something. Is it the correct something? Because there's, there's a lot of us, we, we, we might have our, our, our lives set on, we're focused on things that are not bad things necessarily, but is Christ in that mix? Are we focusing on Christ? Or as we've been made alive to Christ, then primarily what we should be focused on are the things of Christ, not the things of this world that are temporary and they're going to go away at some point. I just want you to look real quick at the last part of verse 1. I want you to notice where Christ is sitting or what he's doing. He's sitting at God's right hand, that place of honor. Can we just pause a moment as we think about all the, the stuff going on in this world? That what Christ did, the, the work on the cross, that, that, that Christ is not up pacing around wondering if what he did on the cross was enough for us. He's not wringing his hands worrying about, is, is what I did for them, is that going to be enough to, to, to help them find freedom? He isn't running around working on a new plan for humanity. He is seated in the place of honor at the right hand of the Father, having done all that he needed to do to set us free from the bondage of this world. And he's coming again. Can we just rest in the finished work of Jesus and rejoice in the perks of our life with Christ? 
that we can find eternal life in him, that we can be forgiven, that we can be free from guilt and, and, and all the stress that this world, the anxiety of this world, that we can find grace, we can find peace that passes understanding, that we can find life and life more abundantly, as Jesus said, in Christ, the finished work of Christ. In verse 2, he says to think not about the things of, of this earth, but on heaven, that we died to life. We died to our sin. Real life is hidden with Christ. And so it's the, this, this big theological idea that, that, that there's, a, there's a segment of the already. We're already a part of the kingdom. We've already been forgiven. We're already his. We're hidden in Christ. But there's also the not yet of the kingdom. That as we set our sights on the things above, that there's an eternity in store for us. That there's things that transcend this earth and there's perks of the eternal kingdom that is going to be ours that's reserved for us, and it's the not yet of what we've not yet experienced. Paul says, there's coming a day when Christ returns, and we will share in all his glory, our eternal reward. We were at a staff retreat a couple weeks ago, and Pastor Tracy, she shared with us as we we're sitting around, she said, you know what? The thing that strikes me is that sometimes as followers of Jesus that we live far below our means. I love that. How often do we, even though we're children of God, we're children of the King, that we still live below our means? Are you living below your means? Let's rejoice in the perks of our life with Christ, in the already and the not yet. As our worship team comes back up, legalism is the bondage of trying to do for God to earn His favor. And Paul is reminding us of the freedom that we can find, not in doing things, but in the finished work of Jesus. Not, as has been said, not in D-O, do, but D-O-N-E, Christ has already done it on the cross. And he reminds us that we've been raised with Christ. He reminds us that our lives are hidden with Christ. He reminds us that Jesus is our life. He reminds us that we will one day share in his glory. And so today... I would just invite you, if you've never invited Christ to be your Savior, to help you over that moral chasm that you can't reach just like evil can evil couldn't. Will you invite Christ to be your Savior? You could text the word Jesus to the number 269-231-8692. We'd love to walk with you. We'd love to connect with you and help you on that journey, send you some resources that will be helpful. And I'm going to pray in just a minute. And, and if you'd like to invite Christ to be your Savior, please do that as I pray. But we're just going to conclude with worship that we are the people of the already but not yet and I don't know about you maybe you need to confess you're bent toward legalism of making it Christ plus other things to just bask in the freedom that you have in Christ and maybe to ask forgiveness for the times that you have put on someone else Jesus plus these other things instead of helping them to embrace the freedom that they can have in Christ and Christ alone. So Heavenly Father, as we conclude today, we pray, Father, that your spirit would rest here, the spirit of freedom and grace, and that you would break the bondage of legalism and help us, Father, to see it's not about do this, don't do this, don't do that, but God, the freedom, the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And God, I pray for that person that for the first time is, in, is confessing their sin and recognizing that they need help. And then they need forgiveness. They need to be set free from their sin. And God, thank you, thank you, thank you that today as they've prayed that prayer, that you're forgiving them and you have, you've set them free now and that you've got an eternity for them and glory reserved. And God, as we all 
today worship you. We pray that you would remind us of all that Christ has done. And let's bask in the perks that are ours in Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.